We're getting there. This is part 10 of our series on stewardship. And um, there's only two more. We're going to have a message next week about stewarding the church's mission. And then the week after that, we're going to have a message about citizenship. don't actually hear too much about that, which is really important, um, being a steward of citizenship. But today we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a steward. And And let me repeat this one more time. What does it mean to be a steward? Stewardship is to manage and take care of that which does not belong to you. Right here in this passage, um, he says, uh, he says, slaves, <laughs> I know it's like, uh, I'm going to say a little something about that. Slaves obeying everything, those who are your earthly masters. Wow, that's a, that's a wild verse. All right? And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But a slave actually means that there's a master. There's a master, that means you work for somebody else. Um, and we don't like that word, slave. Today, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And there's, re- there's good reasons why we don't like that word, slave. Um, but we're going to talk about what it means that everybody has work. Everybody has work to do. Um, you know, even if you were a stay-at-home mom, you have work. I mean, come on. Stay-at-home, that's hard work. Some of the most important work, actually. And our, our society is so stupid that we don't respect that work. <laughs> All right? Um, but... Um, but especially, it's hard, today's message, especially for those of you who, who work for a company, or you work even maybe you work in a small business, or you work for a really big company, um, it's sometimes hard to understand that the work that you do is under the Lord. It is a stewardship. Uh, whether you work in the public sector, private sector, small business, there's five people in your company, or... or or there are 5,000 people in your company, there is a stewardship, and you will be held to account for a work that is under Jesus. Um, In three parts today, part one, who is your boss? (laughs) Who is your boss? Very fundamental teaching from the Bible. Who is the boss? And I want you to rethink that question, especially when you get up on Monday morning, who's the boss? Right? Um, part two, ambition, good and bad. I'll talk a little bit about ambition today. And, and I want to give you a word from the, the scriptures, which has been really deep on my heart, about uh, that, that is very relevant to the question of ambition. And then part three, um, promise and reward under the gospel. Um, so much of what motivates us and how we approach work is reward. <laughs> what is the promise of the reward of the work? <laughs> but how is promise and reward seen and renewed and reshaped by the gospel? Hmm? All right, part one, um, who's the boss? Um, so it's, it's just right here from this verse. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. I mean, let me just start off with this. Um, we live in America, and America, we have a, it's a very, very distasteful. When we hear this word slave, we think of, of black people oppressively being whipped by, um, by very unjust white people. <laughs> That's a very terrible image. And, and the, the type of slavery that was practiced 
in America, and not just only in America, um, but especially about that time, and that's not really a very long time ago. Um, you know, if you just go back a few, a few generations, we're, we're right there within that period. So it's very recent history, it's very ugly history, and you, know, you can read about this. And so, but that isn't the way slavery was in the, first, in the first century. You should understand this. This is strange. Slavery is a very old institution, but it's practiced differently at different times of history. And the way slavery was practiced in America was a, it's, a, it's something more like chattel slavery, and that's forbidden by the Bible. I mean, just because the Bible seems to talk about you are a slave and seems to talk about this as if it's fine with it, doesn't mean that it approved of the form of slavery that was in America. And that was a very unjust form of chattel slavery where people are basically just used like nothing. Actually, if you read the Bible, and even in the Old Testament, there's laws about how slavery can and can't work. And, um, and so throughout the history, you know, throughout history, there were more civilized folks <laughs> and there were less civilized folks. And even in societies that accepted slavery, which was almost all of them, by the way, um, they, the way they handled their slaves were, was seen as whether they were a better people or a lesser people. It's very interesting, isn't it? Right. And in Greco-Roman times, um, generally, you weren't a slave for life. <laughs> you were a slave for a particular period of time. And you often were a slave to work off debt. And you could work in such a way to pay off your debt, and then you could become a freed man. <laughs> and just so being a slave in Greco-Roman time, it isn't a little bit like being an employee today. It is like being an employee today, except one fun fundamental difference, which is you can't quit. Right, today, you could, so you work off debt. Okay, you know, you're not necessarily paying off your debt from the person who is your boss. You, you have a, a mortgage or you have a car loan or something like that, but that's why you go and work. And then you sell yourself off to slavery to somebody today. So, and you even feel that way. <laughs> you feel like, oh gosh, this guy's my, my, I'm a slave to this company, and that's how we talk. That is basically what Greco-Roman slavery was like. Except you would do it for two years or five years until your debt was paid off. And then if you were well enough off, you didn't have to necessarily work. But that's, slavery really was kind of like employment back then. Except that you just couldn't quit your job in two years. and You just couldn't quit until you were paid off your debt to this person you were in. in uh, that's the way economics worked back then. It's just that, and today we're just so much more advanced, right? <laughs> we're just so much more advanced, right? Your company says we're going to pay you X amount. Uh, I, I find it very interesting today. We have per hour workers, and then we have salary workers. And it used to be that if you got to a salary, that was better than being a per hour worker because per hour workers w weren't treated very well and you weren't paid very well. But, but nowadays, it's, especially in Silicon Valley, you get a salary, and now that means the amount of hours you work is not kept. It's insane. And then, and in Silicon Valley, especially, and it's not only in Silicon Valley, but we, we, we pioneered this practice. What they do is they throw out this little carrot saying, we'll give you options or we'll give you, you know, stock benefits. And if our company blows up and gets really huge, you will become rich. And that is the way that they enslave you. 
right? That's the way they enslave you. So um, I hope you're not too offended by that word, verse 22. It's incredibly, it's incredibly appropriate. Write it to the 21st century. We haven't outgrown this text. Um, but now I want you to hear what it says. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, uh, you should understand what, what this means. If your earthly masters calls you to sin, you don't obey. I mean, that's, there's always a principle. You don't obey your master if what your master does is evil against God. I mean, that's stupid. Now you're going to anger God. <laughs> so, when it says obey in everything, it means obey in everything that which is not evil. <laughs> that which is not sinful. <laughs> but that, that, that covers a lot. There's a lot of gray area that your boss asks you to do, or sometimes doesn't ask you to do, commands you to do, and you don't like it. You suspect that he has bad motives for it. And you can't actually say it's evil, because it's necessary, and it actually does something. And maybe it's not even strictly necessary, but it's not evil. But it actually tells you to obey. It's really amazing. So, um, let me just put right, bluntly right now. If you want to know how you are to do your work, you should obey your boss. If your boss doesn't tell you to do something evil, and you don't like it because you think he's being a jerk, or you just don't agree with the command, um, I know this is crazy in the 21st century to say that you should obey him. From the Lord. From the Bible. God says this, not Pastor Susan. But who's Pastor Susan? He, he, he's just the idiot who proclaims what God says. It's not my opinion. I don't even like it, <laughs> to be honest with you. I'm a sinful man just like anybody else. I read that and go, man, I wish we could cut that part out. I wish that didn't have to be in the Bible. But it's there, and it's not hard to understand. A lot of people wish, like, these, oh, it's so the Bible's hard to understand. Um, there's lots of parables. There's, it's easy to understand. We just don't like it. There it is. But it goes on. Obeying everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Oh, man. <laughs> That's even worse. So, don't just obey. <laughs> obey from the heart. Are you kidding? Wow. Okay. And if you can't do it, you're actually displeasing the Lord. You're going right against God's word. And I already know, not only do you not do it, many of you can't do it. That's sin. It's sin. Um, the Bible actually, our, we live in a society where everybody believes we should be our own masters. But that's, that's a lie. <laughs> um, the world requires hierarchy. You know that? The world requires hierarchy. That means somebody actually has to be over you. That, that doesn't mean you know, they're worth more than you. But the world requires that some must obey others. If not forever, like in, you know, like chattel slavery, because that's not what the Bible, even the Bible doesn't accept that. But that for periods of time, we must submit. And actually, the Bible, if you read throughout the Bible, nowhere in the Bible is the Bible against hierarchy. The Bible is against hierarchy used in an evil manner. 
But the Bible absolutely believes that some are masters and some are slaves or servants. And servants, you know what their role is? To obey from the heart. Wow. So, um, you want to know how, how work should be approached? It's to seek obedience from the heart. Not eye service. Huh? Not this kind of like cheap, people-pleasing manner. Now listen. Verse 23, this is the money verse. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. There's the boss. Okay. Here's how the world is structured. You have an immediate boss that you may think is an idiot. Or maybe you like him, but he doesn't like his boss. Or he doesn't like the two bosses ahead of him. Somewhere along the line, in this world, there is a foolish boss, or foolish bosses. And yet, this, this is written during a time when the, the, there's an emperor, <laughs> and, there are, and there's a pilot, there's a governor, and there are powerful people, and there are masters. And Paul, who wrote this, he's not an idiot. He knows that there are masters who are evil. He knows there are masters who are foolish. He knows that the current emperor is, is a wicked man. And yet, insofar as the wicked man does not command something that is evil, you should obey. I mean, it's actually, I could show you other passages where it even says, go right and obey your earthly rulers. It goes, that's a, it's a whole Christian understanding of government. But, what, with, here it's, it's, it's expressly applied to work. But here is the biblical understanding because God has placed that person above you. Not man. God has placed that person above you. We all live in a particular time. You live in America. Do you know that even if you hate President Obama, and lots of Christians do, you are, we are to submit to President Obama because he's a boss. It goes, it goes, I mean, it's in some way, we picked him to rule over us, but actually we didn't pick him to rule over us. God picked him to rule over us. You're saying, I didn't pick him. I didn't vote for him. <laughs> you can say, I didn't pick him. I didn't vote for him. But if you are a citizen of this country, you agreed, even if you did not vote for him, then in peace with your fellow citizens, we will submit to him. Get it? It's true. We just had an election this past week, and a certain chunk of the country celebrated, and a certain country is angry. I don't care which side you're on. If you want to be, I mean, we'll get to the citizenship. I'm kind of like you know, fast forwarding, right? But it goes to the question of the boss. God placed Barack Obama to be the leader. <laughs> he placed your CEO to be your leader. He placed whoever the governor or that, that runs your governmental organization, if the government, if you were for the government. And then named it all the way down. And then those people, do you believe that God, through Jesus Christ, is the boss? And then he gave you this job. And he wants you to do that job well. And you will answer to Jesus for your job. And you're like, I'm a barista at Starbucks. 
He wants you to make really good coffee. <laughs> he does. <laughs> so let me get a little bit at this. What does it mean that Jesus is the Lord? Um, we live in a secular world. So one of the things that's really the curse, one of the real problems of living in a secular world, okay, so if you don't believe in Jesus today, or you're not sure about this thing, and you think everything is secular, secular means I don't know if there's a heaven. Secular just means there's a world. There's no heavenly. There's no eternity. Because secular is very claustrophobic. If there is no king above, above Barack Obama, you know what? then we could just hate him. If there is no king who is more just and more wise above your CEO or your immediate supervisor over the vice president above your supervisor, then, then, then you are free. You are free to undermine him. You're free to lie. You're free to cheat because he's an idiot. And you only have to worry about you. That's part of the curse of the secular world. That's exactly how we operate in America today. And that's how most people operate in America today. If you believe in Jesus, and you operate like that, if your coworkers operate like that, your boss operates, I mean, it's, it's sad. This is the culture. Right? In a secular world, it's completely logical. Your boss is only your boss, because he just has to be your boss, because your boss is it's just like a pure piece of pragmatism. Some things have to operate above other things, and since we have to be a complex machinery to get more things done, that's it. The world is just machines. Your boss is just a, the cog that happens to be above you, but as soon as you can get out underneath him, you'll get out underneath him. But then what that really means is there's some fundamental good that every organization is trying to accomplish. That good doesn't only, it's not just some, well, just got to get it done. There's some good that the organization should actually offer to the world and bless into the society. You are there, no matter where you're at, whether you're a real small little cog in the machine, or you're the boss. You're, 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 you actually have a real important say in how well your, 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 your work gets done. Hmm? Whatever that your place is, Jesus wants you to do it well for him. That's stewardship. And if you are just living in the secular world, you're living in delusion. This is, okay, secularity is wrong. There is a heaven. And there is values that cut across all cultures and throughout time. You go to a coffee shop, that person made you a garbage and lazy cup of coffee. That was a sin against beauty, <laughs> against righteousness. That, a sin against beauty is a sin against God. <laughs> but to conform to beauty, to serve beauty, is to serve God. And that's pleasing to the Lord. And he, he'll know. And he will remember. Hey, you were a horrible barista. That's sin. <laughs> but you actually learned how to make that cup of coffee. You made that cup of coffee well. And when you handed it, you handed blessing. That's stewardship. That's the work. That is the work. That's the work. You get it? That's the work. And that goes back to God. That goes all the way right back to God. Every piece of work 
has this connection that takes it right back up to beauty. And the word in the Bible is shalom, peace, where everything is in harmony. That's why I like to use that at the end of our services, where everything comes back to harmony. But insofar as we live in the secular world and everybody's up for, and I'm just kind of, because that's, that's it. If you, boss, you know, with your, with your outward, you're, good day, boss. If you, right? Which is exactly what the Bible says don't do. From the heart. From the heart. Bless. Bless the work. Even bless your boss even when he is evil, which is wild. Um, let me just say uh, um, just uh, one other point before I, I move on to part two. Um, there's, a, there's a famous management professor. He passed away a number of years ago. He became a guru. His name is, he's, he's one of the great gurus of uh, 20th century management thinking. His name is Peter Drucker. And Drucker wrote a lot of books. But um, you guys know, if you guys go back like 30 or 40 years ago, your company did not have a mission statement. <laughs> Most companies didn't have a mission statement. They just made you do work. Um, but nowadays, most companies, ha they craft this thing, and they actually work hard on it, or there's at least supposed to try to work on it, called a mission statement. You know what that means? What we exist for. What we exist for. Peter Drucker taught him that. I think Drucker was a Christian. He understood that all work and all companies exist to produce a good, a piece of beauty, which produces blessing. And he believed in God, so he knew that this had to ultimately come back to the Lord. And then people would read Drucker and go, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is true. It's absolutely true. A lot of people think that Companies exist to make money. No, they don't. They do not exist to make money. <laughs> if everybody in your company thinks they exist to make money, they're stupid. <laughs> they exist to produce blessing, shalom, and beauty. From which somebody pays them because they think that's worth something. It is. It's the most beautiful thing there is, and it's worth a lot more than money. It's worth a lot more than money. Money is just the, the, the means that we just have to like just uh, offer value back to each other because it's, it's more, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sufficient. But companies don't exist just to make money. And there's this thing, you know, so the purpose of the company, the, the old word is called telos, is its mission. That's what Peter Drucker was calling. Call you back to your telos. Fulfill your tells, but tells has to go be something eternal that gets run, run back to God. So I think there are companies that know how to do this, and there are companies that don't know, don't know how to do this. Governments are technically supposed to be able to do this. So um, take the government welfare office. What is their telos? To hand checks to poor people? No. No. It is not their telos. Their telos is to bless and offer mercy to those who are poor and hurting. Do they do a good job of it? Horrible job. <laughs> Horrible job. Because hmm? everybody there is there not to fulfill the telos and the mission. 
Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be amazing if there was somebody actually down at the welfare office who really cared about mercy for the poor? <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I'll, I'll hope some of them actually do. I really pray and hope some of them actually do. Um, let me give you a, a little piece of this. What motivates you when you go to work? It's a very, very important question. What motivates you when you go to work? Are you intrinsically motivated or extrinsically motivated? Here's what the difference is. Intrinsic means it's connected to the thing itself. It's connected to what it's for. If you're an engineer for Apple, and the thing you are motivated is, I work on the iPhone. And when the iPhone does this beautiful thing, and I go, oh, yes! And I love the beauty that the iPhone produces and the service it produces. Now you're intrinsically motivated. You're fulfilling the mission. What your company actually, the blessing that Apple actually does for the world. But if you go and work as an engineer on the iPhone and you're as, I exist to make money, to pay off my bills, and, and to get ahead in this company, and to get my boss off my back. That's my motivation on Monday. If that's your motivation, you're extrinsically motivated. And to a certain extent, this is the tragedy. Everybody's mostly extrinsically motivated. If you're only extrinsically motivated, you're sinning. Let me, let me, let me drive this a little harder. You deserve to go to hell. Everybody's only extrinsically motivated. That's why we all hate work. <laughs> That's why it's all garbage. That's why we all want to leave work. That's why our society sucks. That's why we hate everybody. That's why we're suspicious of everybody. Because it's all corrupted. But if everybody could actually obey verse 22, you know what will actually happen? If you could somehow to run a magic wand and everybody in your unit, in your group, obeyed verse 22, you know what would happen? Heaven. <laughs> your, your company would just become heavenly. You would say, I'll take less money to work here. Because people actually want to do what we're supposed to do here. From the heart. That's what will happen. So that's why the command is the way it is. But our problem is we can't do it. That's the problem. And it's even worse. Everybody else doesn't do it, so now you, you feel like a fool for doing it. So if you actually work from your heart for intrinsic motivation for the actual fundamental telos and good of the company, of your, of your, of your work, then, then people will think you're an idiot. That's really sad. That is a crap world. <laughs> That is a world going to hell. That is a world filled of everybody who is a, participates in that world and gives themselves to that world. If you're not fighting against that world, then you're accepting that the world deserves to go to hell. We are a garbage world. You're in a garbage company with a garbage job, and we just go home to escape it. <laughs> and so I know I'm coming out real hard, but that's why our society sucks. Really, it is. All extrinsically motivated, only about money, only about my gain, not about the real beauty, what the work is about. All work 
It's about some fundamental good and beauty. Right down to just, you know, do you know that the, the, this carpet does not get vacuumed automatically? It's like, whoa, just walk in. It's, it's a church. Therefore, you know, that's why this, this carpet is, just, you know, doesn't have dust just all over it. Somebody does this work. There's some real nice people that do this work. You don't know who they are. They actually do a pretty good job. And you and I get the blessing of this place not being gross and dirty and dusty because they put the shalom of the telos, the fundamental beauty of the work, and they do it well. I don't know if they do it from their heart. Jesus does. Do you? So, here's the money verse one more time. Whatever you do, work heartily. That's a, that's a good phrase. Heartily. From the heart. That's what heartily means. Pure, with enthusiasm, from the heart, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Let me go to part two, my message. Ambition, good and bad. Ambition, good and bad. Uh, we live in America. Um, some of you consider yourselves ambitious people. Some of you do not consider yourself. If you want to do better and climb and make more and more, most of you are not content. The va- in America, if you are a person content to make piddling, because that's just enough to get by, you're really weird. <laughs> you're really weird. And most people in America do not believe in that. And we think this is normal. Actually, it's not normal. America is a very, very ambitious society. America is filled with the people that believe that ambition is the normal thing. Not everybody is ambitious. If you go to most other people in society, there's lots of people who are just like, I fish, and then I I lay on the beach. It's a good life. But Americans, we don't believe in this stuff. We're like, no way, no, 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 no. <laughs> we'll do that for a week. And they're like, okay, back to the grind. All right, let's go, let's go. More, more, ambition. All right, we, we, we're into ambition. Um, the Bible is not against ambition. But let me tell you, if you read the whole Bible, it's not, the word's not in there. Because ambition is, is broken. And today I want to give you a verse and the reason I just want to talk about ambition because it's such an important part of the way we approach work as America. America is filled with people who left other parts of the world because these people don't want to make it better, make it better, get richer, make it better. Okay? So that's why America came up with the, the, the most outlandish things. We invented the internet. We invented the iPhone. Now, other places in the world are starting to catch on. They're catching the American spirit. It's the ambition spirit. <laughs> and so, um, it's just, if you just had a certain percentage of people that are filled with ambition, the whole, it's, there's a tipping point. If your society has 5% ambitious people, you know, they won't become rich. But if your society has 30% ambitious people, then they, will make the, then they will make another 50% ambitious. Then all of a sudden, everybody will become at least somewhat ambitious. If your society is full of 30% ambitious people, then, 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 then 80, 90% of us have to be ambitious. That's the way we are in America. You should understand, that's the, point, that's, that's the Kool-Aid you're drinking every day. Breathe it. Ambition, yeah! Right? Right? That's why your company doesn't have to pay you a lot, and you go home and do work. 
It's <laughs> because you're an American. Right? Got to go. <laughs> Got to go. You're a student. You're not even being paid yet. It's the promise of ambition. Okay. Now, good and bad. Good is the Lord has an ambition for shalom and beauty. That's the ambition for the Lord. The deepest shalom and beauty. Our ambition is driven by greed (laughs) and pride. Greed and pride. Greed and pride. It is good to want more and to want more beauty. But if that's all you got is just greed and pride, more money, more more I'm better, more status. And let's, let's, let's take the word, the, the, the word that, um, that, I, I'm, that I, I remember a writer once said is the bitch goddess of America, success. <laughs> okay, success is the bitch goddess of America. Oh, and she's a bitch, all right. If that's the word that drives you, greed and pride. And the flip side is, is, and so we go, oh, I'm not filled with greed and pride. Ah, or do you have resentment? Do you have resentment? That's why you hate your boss. Or you're angry that you didn't get the opportunity that you wanted. You're, you're resentful for what you have to do. Your resentment and bitterness and fear. That's the other one. Resentment. That's filled with our society. Greed and pride and resentment. All those who made it, they're filled with pride. <laughs> they're chasing it. More and more pride. Throwing in with greed. It's like a mixture of greed and pride. It's like so normal. <laughs> Most of us are motivated by greed and pride. That's how our ambition does. On the flip side, those of you who are like, oh, I'm better than that. I'm not, I don't have greed and pride. No, you, you got real resentment. You have resentment, envy, anger. It's, 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 a, it's a terrible society we live in. You know why, why most people are like this? Because of this. We have no stewardship of work. No real, biblical, grace stewardship from the heart of work. And I want to give you this verse. Wild verse. And I have been meditating on this verse for quite some time. For years, actually. Um, I'm going to let you in on a little dirty secret. Being, being an English ministry pastor is not a glamorous job. <laughs> in my world, pastors, we, we believe in greed and pride and success, and, re, and, we, and we are filled with resentment too. It's just that we don't tend to, um, we don't tend to compare our success based upon like, our salary. We, we, we compare it on, on like, crass things like, what, how many people come to your church and what is your offering? And a lot of people don't want to be an English ministry pastor because that's considered a low job. And so, how have I worked out this? Whenever I feel like I have a low job, it's, it kind of sucks because my boss is directly Jesus. Okay, well, okay, I have, I, have, I have a boss. I have my elders and my pastor, okay, my lead pastor. But, you know, they generally love me, so I don't hate them, all right? <laughs> um, 
they pretty much all love me and I love them. So I'm like, okay, let's throw my You know who my resentment is at? God. My boss is Jesus. So when I have been angry at being an English ministry pastor, you know who I'm resentful to? Jesus. <laughs> it's like, well, that sucks. You're my savior. Love you. But you're my boss. Hate you. Like, why'd you have to stick me with this low job? You know what his answer is? Who says it's a low job? Who said it's a low job? And you know what the verse he gave me is? So, you're like, oh, you're a pastor. You can't relate, pastor. You can't relate to this greed and pride and and resentment. Bull! (laughs) I know it. I know it as well as anyone. I'm a prideful man. I'm a greedy man. I'm enslaved by the bitch goddess of success. The American church believes in success, success, success. It's full of BS. Because sometimes Jesus says, in the world I want you to fail. In my eyes, you will succeed. Oh, gosh. I don't want to hear that from him. I do not want to hear that. I read the Bible going, dang it, it's there. It sucks, it's there. But I just want success. And he's like, you're listening to the bitch goddess. You're not listening to me. Here's the word. Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. This verse will help you if you don't like obeying your boss. I don't like obeying my boss. And my boss is pure and beautiful and wonderful. And sometimes I hate him and resent him. I mean, I'm I'm really stripping myself naked to tell you, I I sometimes resent Jesus. Sucks. I'm always telling you to love Jesus, but I'm like confessing to you, sometimes I resent Jesus over the nature of my work, because all work is cursed, including the pastor's work. Luke 14. This is the verse. Now he told the parable to those who were invited when you notice how they chose the places of honor, that's all we do. That's what ambition is about. Seeking honor. Luke 14, verse 7. This is a parable about an invitation to a wedding feast. You know what the wedding feast is? The kingdom. The wedding feast is the life of the gospel. That's what he's doing. When you're invited, to, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast... That's Jesus, (laughs) okay? When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And here's the money verse. I want you to remember this verse. I chew on this verse a lot. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That is exactly what Colossians 3.22 is telling you to do. Humble yourself. Do the work from the heart before Jesus 
Because you're in a wedding feast. His wedding feast. And one of these days he'll see you doing your work. Being a steward before him. And I say, what are you doing sitting there? I'll exalt you and raise you up. That's the Jesus way. Now let me close this message up. I'm already getting to the, I'm already kind of it. This is reward in the gospel. You know what the deepest reward is? When Jesus lifts you up. <laughs> That's the deepest reward. All of you want your boss to promote you, to be pleased with you. And even the ones of you who hate your boss, you want your boss to go, whoa, that was great. You, you all do. Come on, baloney. You all do. You all do. Right? You, you want your boss to reward you. Now, let me tell you something. This is a boss who understands this issue. Jesus was a boss. He is the boss. But guess what? He had a boss, too. And his was God the Father, who's <laughs> the boss of all bosses. And he says, Jesus, I have a work for you. I'm going to turn you into a slave. And you'll go into evil. There'll be evil people over you. And you'll be crushed. But there will be a beautiful shalom that will spill out to your neighbors, into this world. And they're idiots. They're extrinsically motivated, horrible people, always after their money and their pride and their greed. And then, and then when they don't get it, then they get angry. And they will crush you. This is the work. Go be a slave. The worst bottom, bottom, bottom slave. And if you will do this, you will pour forth shalom and blessing on them, which is what the world needs if it's not going to be garbage. Go do it, Jesus. That's your boss. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for your company. He did it for the world. And now today, he calls you to do it for him. Hmm. And if you'll do this for him, you'll be so weird. <laughs> you will be really weird. But people will know that the true and living God dwells in you. Huh. And heaven will start to shine out from you in shalom and blessing. Let's go to the table of the Lord. Let's pray. As long as the work offers real, sh that's the real work. That's why work is good. And that's why we even, that's why we long to do a work that we know how to do well, that you have given us gifts for. And Lord, I wish it wasn't just about money. But because we don't see you, we have to have a, a, a God <laughs> And then our God becomes money and success. <laughs> and those will crush us. And they are killing us. They're killing us. 
then they're turning us into a horrible society and a terrible city. Filling us full of hatred and resentment and greed and pride. But today, as we go to your table, you should fill us with shalom by grace. Thank you, Jesus, for doing a work which we could never do and for obeying your Father and turn us into workers and servants, even slaves like you. And would you lift us up and exalt us and promote us and advance us and when we do our work right, would we hear your voice? Sit higher. I'm pleased. And the secret of that faith, that conversation that we have with you, may that drive us to be pleasing before your sight so that one day we could receive your praise and receive your promotions and receive your honor before you. Just as you went to the bottommost place and the Father raised you up, we look forward to the day when you will raise us up. Make us good stewards of your work by gospel grace. In Jesus' name.